welcome to another episode of the Strong Family Project Podcast. I am Joe, joined by Mel. Read us in, Mel. Let's go. Welcome back to the Strong Family Project Podcast, where we guide you on the path to raising confident, independent, and resilient children in a strong family environment. And we are on the move today, talking fast, moving fast, answering some of your parenting questions, because we have a lot of family events going on this weekend, including a family wedding, kids changing sports. So we are going to hit this long episode for about 20 minutes today with your most popular questions answered that you have sent in to us. Now, if you want an opportunity to send us a question, visit us at strongfamilyproject.com. Our email is right there at the bottom on Instagram, official strong family co. You may also message those over or drop them in the YouTube comments. All right, Mel, got your game face on? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. How do you congratulate or celebrate kids? Oh, I feel like we talk about this quite a bit. So we like to congratulate based on choices and behaviors. And a lot of what we do is against the norm. So we try to celebrate and congratulate by, first of all, pointing out the behavior that we're trying to congratulate. But we try to do it in ways that are not necessarily backed up by like negativity. So for example, we don't go out to dinner to celebrate because we don't want to like tack on this. You did something great. Let's have some food. And then you make this connection that we're trying to not make. We don't want our kids to connect. I did something well. Now I have to go eat something. So we try to like stay away from food, which I think is a really common thing to, to jump into. So instead we will compliment each other. We spend time at the table and if someone has accomplished something, we'll talk about it and we'll all celebrate just being together as a family and congratulating the person and trying to get used to that feeling good and not requesting like a thing or a food, if that makes sense. It does. I like experiences. I've taken them to the trampoline park. Logan goes 3D printing. It would take them somewhere they want to go, have extra time with friends, let them ride their bike somewhere, take them mountain biking. Those types of experiences are how we like to celebrate our kids and congratulate them for doing something well. At the end of last summer. also can be (laughs) that it doesn't have to be that big. Sometimes just verbal congratulations and complimenting them to reinforce the behavior you want is appropriate. We hear those stories where people are like, oh, my dad or mom never told me they love me. Like the verbal stuff sometimes goes underappreciated in our attempt to do bigger things. Like I'm going to take him on a big vacation this year. And that's all my focus. You can congratulate and celebrate verbally and you should. And I just wanted to add that I think it's important for the kid to recognize in themselves that they did something well. Like I don't think all of their praise needs to come from external sources. So if they're dependent on you always saying I'm proud of you or good job, they need to be able to say that intrinsically. Very good point. Question two, and there's a lot of varieties of this question, goes a little something like this. How do I give advice to my adult children without them getting defensive? We don't have adult children yet, but... Let me go. I am someone's child. (laughs) So we can go from that angle because I want, I don't want people to tune this out when they're like, I don't have adult children. It is what you do now with younger children that is reflected when they're adult children. So this is a little bit of a ghost of Christmas future type question. Not that we're not going to help this person in the situation, but communication and uh, 
you contributing to their life is set up at a much younger age. And if you want to avoid this now and you have younger kids, now is the time to take action on increasing communication, showing them that you care. Yeah, completely agree. And we do set that up in our family in many ways. Like at the family meetings, the kids bring value. They bring the discussion topics. They come up with the solutions. We make sure that they feel like they're a valued member of this organization, which is our family. So I think that I think you hit the nail on the head. So you have to set those communication and respect almost between yourself and your kids up younger. Um, we don't talk to our we don't talk down to our kids. We don't say just because that's just I said so. Those kind of things will make them not want to listen to you when they're older. And I think my advice then, let's say you didn't necessarily set that up. I think it's important to say something like, I really would like to share some advice with you and it's up to you whether you'd like to take it or not because you're an adult. But can you just hear me out and hear what I have to say because I care about you? So if you present it in a way where you're not expecting them to take your advice, but at least consider it, that might be a good place to start. I like the way you worded that. Another option for this person is sometimes you have to show some extra humility where you can say, hey, I know communication always hasn't been ideal. I would like to take some steps to fix that now and sit down and have a conversation with you. You start with lower level conversations, just getting to know them, know where they're going in life, what goals are they setting, what makes them so independent that they don't want to listen right now. And what are they focusing on? Because there's probably some pretty cool things. And once you build that rapport, then you can go back to the, what Mel said. So there's some rapport building. There's a culture there. There's a relationship that needs to be worked on. There isn't a magic phrase, but there is, are plenty of phrases to get you started. So you got to get rolling into it. Yeah, I love that. Build rapport. All right. Next one. I need help boosting their self-esteem. So what are some suggestions, Mel, to boost self-esteem? <clears throat> What I think of immediately when I hear self-esteem is my boy, Dennis Prager, I listen to, he says the only way to get self-esteem is by first having self-control. So when a child is taught to be able to control themselves, then they will gain self-esteem because self-esteem is a feeling. So we can't just build a feeling. You have to build action and behavior, which then will result in self-esteem and good feeling. I don't know if that's really clear, though. I think what I'm trying to say is that we're so action-based. We don't just talk about it or how are you feeling or how's this going. We want to make sure we're talking about what are you doing to make this goal happen or what are you doing to create a feeling, a good feeling. And part of that is goal setting, spending time together as a family, having core values so that your kids know that they're a part of something, of an identity as a family, so they know who they are. And I think the more you're rooted in core values and in spending time together and really caring about what your family is about, self-esteem grows from that. It's almost a result of those other behaviors that are intentional. To go a little deeper on what Mel was just saying about goal setting, I think that's a perfectly great place to start. If you want them to build self-esteem, sit down and set very obtainable goals with them that are very, they stretch them just a little bit. So they start building wins up front. And once they build more wins, then you can stretch a little bit more and go for some harder things. But it's consistent wins. It is consistency in the day so they know what to expect and not everything's changing because that, that gives them a lot of anxiety, which will pour over to the activities that they're trying to do. Give them a dinner time, if practical for them to have an outlet for their their anxieties from the day or what's on their mind before they come anxieties. Set goals, accomplish goals, rinse and repeat. 
Well, specifically with a goal, an example came to mind. So our son, we've talked about him before, our oldest, who really wasn't into playing any sports. And we noticed we'd like him to have that experience. We thought that would create some some extra self-esteem for him. And initially he wasn't really about it, but then we kind of let it marinate. And now that the season's over, he can't wait to play in the spring. And I'm not saying that, oh, we saw that coming. But as parents, sometimes we have to take a look at our kids and see where their interests are, where we can guide them to try something new. And if they accomplish that new thing, if they set a new goal that might be a little scary, that's where the growth comes, going outside of the comfort zone. Related to that, next question is, how can I push my child out of their comfort zone without going too far? I have a couple thoughts on it. The first one Mel just mentioned, my older son, he was not about as in, a dad's making me play football, which it wasn't true. I said, hey, you need to choose any activity. Even if it's a paid activity, you want to go do gymnastics, you want to go do BJJ, you want to go do any of these things, be a part of a team, anything competitive, we'll support it. Because I played football, basketball, baseball does not mean you need to play those. He picked football and then got grumpy that he picked it. (laughs) And then the first day he loved it. He never missed a practice, never complained. And the last team of the year canceled their game. They're not going to show up. And so last night was surprised their last practice and he was really bummed about it. And so part of pushing someone out of the comfort zone is I didn't entertain those conversations because he pushed back to test me. And I said, I choose something. Is that what you choose? Okay, good. Then that's where we're going. I don't know. It's going to be hard. Yes, yes, it will be. I've never been on a team. I know that's true. How can I help you? It was never like, okay, maybe we won't do it then. (laughs) I didn't entertain those conversations. Didn't say a whole lot. Just gave him support and clarity. But it wasn't any backpedaling or any back and forth to give him the window of opportunity to think, oh, I can talk my way out of this. And so that's part of stretching the comfort zone. One other thing on that is sometimes you will go too far. I like to chip short of the green. I don't like to go too far, but you teach your kids to be resilient. So when they have a failure, they can bounce back. And so that's the other piece of it. I will push myself too far. They'll see me fail. If we try to, let's say a mountain bike jump and I fall flat on my back, that was outside of my comfort zone. I was not successful. I failed. It's like, wow, that was unfortunate. I don't want to do that again and get back up. It's not like, I never want to ride my bike again. That would happen if you haven't worked on resiliency with your kids and taught them that it's okay to fail. And you can toe that line a little bit more if you've done the resiliency work with your family. There's going to be some trial and error in this, and I think a lot of it is how we respond as adults. Our youngest recently got his training wheels off after just a month, and he's just off to the races. But some days he'll get off the bike and say, I'm never going to ride again. Now we just say, okay, whatever, and we just move on. Because as soon as you start to cater to that, oh, that's not true, you don't mean that, and all that kind of stuff, it just creates this unnecessary friction and unnecessary... Um, place that you're going with it, sometimes you just have to let it go as an adult and let the kid just sit with whatever feeling they're saying because I think oftentimes they're just trying to get a rise out of you. So anyway, but back to the comfort zone, I really think it is a bit of trial and error and you have to be intentional with offering your kids opportunities to go outside of their comfort zone. Semi-related. A couple times this question came in. Some variety of our child, 10, 11, 12, has developed an overwhelming attitude overnight. What do I do? How do I, any tips on how I deal with this? And in this one that I'm reading specifically, says our daughter, 10 years old, developed an attitude overnight, which I get what she's saying. Like it just happened fast. Mm -hmm. Something happened in that child's life. They tried to attempt a different path. The, how do I deal is I nudge them right back into line ASAP and not with any 
Argumenting? I don't want to be argumentative or arguing. I want to get both those words in there. <laughs> and so this is the tough part because our willpower is drained as parents and we want to just, t- when I was here, I did this. Maybe you should think about this way. I don't know why you have an attitude today. And we get a little sassy. And when we get sassy, we're losing the battle. And I want to put that in your mind. If your heart rate's going up, you have to separate yourself from the conversation and deal with it later. I'm gonna, we're going to sit down and talk about it later. Sometimes that's more powerful. Ooh, I didn't want to sit down and talk about this. I just wanted to see if I can cruise through the cruise through the kitchen, throw a little attitude, and get away with it. Now I got to sit down, and I know they're gonna talk to me about it, and I know I was wrong. And, uh, how do I get out of this? I'm just gonna have to sit down and not do this anymore. Where it spirals is when parents join in and give the attitude right back. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think to take it a step further, if it's a pattern that's happening, I think it's worthwhile to take a look at who your child is spending time with. Because it's sometimes important to see where the source of this is coming from. And we really work hard on, I'm at the school quite often, and I understand that I have the time to go do that. But one of my goals is to get to know the kids in the class. So when my kids talk to me, I know who they're referring to and who they're hanging out with. And we can guide our kids. Hey, this kid, you might want to think about spending time with him because I'm I'm noticing this and that about him. And I don't necessarily say, hey, you cannot hang out with this person. But then I notice that my son starts to think about it. Like the wheels start to grind and they're like, maybe this isn't good for me. So I think it's important to maybe consider if it's a pattern of attitude to not just simply blame it on puberty or blame it on something else to think maybe there's something going on in the kid's world. Maybe there's a kid at school who's influencing them. Shifting gears so they're not all related. This question comes in a lot. Is structure good? What should my daily routines be? Should I have daily routines? Yes, I think structure is very good and beneficial to the point where it's not limiting your child's creativity. There can be like this militaristic, everything is regimented down to the hour, which isn't what it should be. It should be, hey, here's what's important to do during our day. We've got to read, do a little exercise. We have a meal. If you don't like that meal, you can make yourself something else. There are different routines and structures that come up a lot and I think that if you have those it brings down the child's anxiety so they know what to do during the day. We also extend that to routines that are weekly. We have our family meeting on Saturday. The kids anticipate and expect that to happen and I think that is great. Kids do strive. I think it's like the age-old saying kids thrive on structure but it does have to be fun structure. It does have to be structure that's intentional and not just done because I said so or because that's how I was raised. You have to have purpose behind what you're doing. Like our family meetings, that's really what all of the strong family path is about, is creating organized intentional structure in your family, but it's tailored and unique to your family. For example, our family dinners since sports started are all over the place because of times of games and things. But we still think it's important to do it. So as often as we can, we sit down at the table, even if it's late, just to be together because that structure and that routine has paid off for us. I'll give you an example outside of the household. So I own and run fitness facilities. And our goal is to have our high-quality training staff being able to focus on the training, the thing that they've been passionate about and the thing that they love to do. There are other things that have to happen to make the facility run, reaching out to people who don't show up, making sure the equipment's away, like all those subtasks. It's 
that shouldn't take their capacity away. And if they have to think about everything and then it's going to take away from their passion, they can't focus on the creative work that they enjoy. And so we structure all the other things so that it's done, check the box, done fast, done efficient. We time batch. This is when we can do it. This is how it's done. They can knock all that stuff out so that they can focus more on their personal growth development and their passion. Same thing with in the household. You don't want to have all these just busy work tasks for the kids. That's a good point. Or the adults too. (laughs) What age is the most fun? Oh, gosh. This one gets asked because it was yelled in all caps. Oh, my gosh. This well, isn't a super popular one. I shouldn't have picked it, but let's, I want to no, hear what you okay. say. Okay, this is going to sound kind of tacky, but I try to find the good in every age. Like for me, I'd say that the, when they're littler, it's easier because their needs are so obvious. Feed me. I need to sleep. I need to do this. So I find that fun because it's not stressful because it's just very simple. And as they get older, it gets a bit more complicated, but then I really enjoy that too. I don't know how to answer this. I like all the ages, <laughs> except when they're 18, because then they'll be gone, and then that I don't like. <laughs> oh, so I'm gonna take it from a different angle. What age is the most fun? I'm gonna say from the parenting. I know that we're trying to, they want us to cast judgment on the kids. It, it really depends on the child, and they all have their different challenges, and they all can be fun uh, if you are a fun person and so I've seen parents that are really good with younger kids because they are in the house and when they go outside they really don't know how to teach the kids core values which is episode one of the podcast and things like that becomes such a struggle that it's no longer fun for the parent and so as the kids progress we have to progress our skill set so that every age is fun but this also relates to the last question I'm going to pick today which is like it's not really a question. It's staying healthy suggestions. And so what age is most fun for the parent is ones that you can function at a high level at. And a lot of that has to do with your personal health. As you get older, you're taking care of yourself. And can you keep up with the kids as they get older? And that'll really ruin your fun. If And I'll give you an example. My family, my dad would love to go play with us when we were up to maybe 12 and then he was getting so out of shape that he was almost embarrassed to go to our sporting events. So he would park in a parking lot where he could see the field, and not even get out of his vehicle anymore. And that I can't imagine was very fun for him anymore, but it had nothing to do with us in our age. It had to do with staying healthy suggestions. So what do you have for those? I think it's great to find ways to be fit as a family. So I love when we go for walks, like Everett likes to go on his bike every evening. We walk with him. So finding ways to stay healthy as a family keeps you more accountable as a group. You know, like the idea of just like, oh, go to the gym five days a week. If that's what you enjoy, that's great. But finding something that keeps you accountable and keeps the kids engaged and teaches them that this should be a part of healthy living, I think is great. And also food. We've gotten really big into doing a lot of stuff at home, like sourdough. I'm drinking our kombucha that we make. I make homemade waffles. There's a whole list, nut butters, all these different things that we do. And it's exciting because the kids get to see us make this. And even if they don't eat at all, I love that they're around the role modeling of us cooking at home. And that's another way to just stay healthy. Got to role model it. You got to live it. You got to make it part of your daily routine. They need to see you doing it and you need to have it as their part of their daily routine. And you should be doing some of it together. And that's exercise. That's eating right. That's going out and getting some sunlight. It's choosing activities that are active and not activities that are passive sitting video game type activities together. 
one I'm going to finish with. That was the last question, but this one's funny. I'll share it on the way out. This one comes and says, because the question that we pose is, do you have any parenting questions? And this person's response is, not really. Mine are already all raised. My oldest daughter, now she could use some help. <laughs> uh, maybe they're not done being raised <laughs> yet. Maybe they need a little hand from you to step in from this father. But thank you for listening to the episode. I know we're going fast. I know I hit it off hot and speedy at the beginning, but I want to get through some good content for you. As we get through a couple of these busy weeks, we get into the fall season here. I appreciate your patience. Appreciate your questions. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Strong Family Project podcast. 